For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And tonight in the program, very excited to talk about the restaurant business. I'm a big foodie, of course, and love chatting with restaurateurs. We are both big foodies, Dan, no question about it. And, uh, you know, so many restaurants in this town, they open, they close, they stay, they come, they go. Uh, this is one that's uh, it's it's fairly new, hasn't been around too long, uh, about a year and a half. But the two guys, uh, two of the owners, have uh, been in this game for decades. Should be interesting. Yeah, we'll talk to Victor Diaz and Victor Batista of Restaurant Doka. They're on the way. But first, a bit of a chat about uh, various entrepreneurial news and notes of the week. And uh, we'll start uh, with, uh, with tomorrow night. We're going to be doing something... Uh, FL is sponsoring an event uh, that helps sort of entrepreneurs not showcase the good parts necessarily, but showcase their failures. You know, this is a, this is a concept that's been around a, a really long time, Dan, and it, it actually started in Mexico, uh, Mexico City, and it's uh, we can't say it on air. It's f up nights. It's f up nights or fouled up nights. We can say on air, but it's basically there's so many entrepreneurs that love and have have been listening to success stories. These are the failures. These are the ones where people really learn their lessons. Uh, Silicon Valley has one uh, called, you know, that, that mimics the Day of the Dead, and it's basically big entrepreneurs that, that follow that story. Uh, in Canada, they kind of mimic it. There's, there's a group out, out west that have been doing these, these failure events. Uh, so this is just in line with that. This is our, our little Montreal version, uh, entrepreneurs that are going to share their failure stories. Uh, f up nights. Uh, you can you can check that out. Uh, I, you might have the information. Uh, fun. Facebook.com slash fun Montreal. Exactly. Tomorrow night at Le Salon. Le Salon 1861. Uh, great little uh, common social uh, and, of course, co-work sharing space that we've been talking about a little bit lately, too. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun, and I uh, can't wait to hear that. Um, another uh, bit of business news from from uh, from actually this past couple of days, really. Um, American Apparel has got to be such an interesting company. I mean, the founder, very colorful guy, very yes. controversial, but the company itself and the way it's built, uh, so interesting. And uh, I, I've said it on the air before, I, I, I wear the products, they're good quality products, but was there something that wasn't sustainable there? I mean, can, can we really produce clothing on that volume, manufactured, in North America these days? I think there's, you know, so, the no, SKUs, okay? SKUs, SKUs, SKUs. What is a SKU? SKU is basically a single item in a single store. Now, it's not as if stores and businesses have 100 SKUs or 200 SKUs. Places like American Apparel have thousands and thousands, and I dare to say tens of thousands of SKUs that they have to manage and keep in store and keep available. And it's not as if they were doing a lot of basics. There was a lot of trends there. When you have trends and you have big inventory, that's a, that's a big beast. If you can't keep churning that and you don't have outlets to get it to get it moved out the store because inventory is not cash. Cash is king. Uh, if you can't move that inventory, you are absolutely dead in the water. So um, we have a, a company that's sort of founded in many ways in Montreal by a former Montrealer. And uh, now, apparently, being saved by some more Montrealers at Gildan. So Gildan uh, bought uh, bought the American Apparel division. I think it was uh, sixty six million or something like that. Because American Apparel, they they tried to get saved uh, from bankruptcy about a year ago. 
and I guess they never emerged from it, and uh, Gildan came to the rescue. Now, Gildan itself is a big operation, but they might be able to do it better. They'll start from scratch. They'll they'll probably knock down quite a number of SKUs. They're, they'll they'll also cover on the manufacturing side because they're they understand what vertical means. So, could be great for these uh, these two Montreal somewhat Montreal-based companies to uh, to get together and make something good out of it. So we haven't talked about CETA much, this European free trade deal. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, and do you think it'll be a, a positive step for Canadian businesses who want to uh, have closer ties to Europe? I'm going to... My comments are going to be more about the SMEs, more about the small business. And, uh, and Dan, you and I chatted a little bit off-air last week about it. I don't believe in it. I just don't see how small businesses can really take a, a true bite out of this, out of the CETA, this closer economic trade arrangement or whatever the acronym stands for uh, with, the, with the European Union. If you're a small business, you're going to make it or break it whether CETA exists or not. You're either going to spend the dollars and the resources and the time to invest in the European market or you're not. And it's not going to be a few clauses here or there in what supposedly is supposed to make uh, cross-border bilateral trade easier just for that. It takes a lot more than just a CETA to make good business, especially for small businesses. If you're a large business, yeah, there's there's probably some great clauses in there. It says some possibly reduced hire. I didn't really read the entire document, but I know there was an article in the Financial Post that even said there's small businesses really won't take advantage of this because it's not just about the free trade agreement or the, the, the closer economic trade agreement. It's about can small business afford to get into a complete other market? It is, you know, they have to invest in design. They have to travel. They have to be present for a long enough period because buyers are discerning and they want to make sure that that who they're buying from is solid and stay. And so they'll want to maybe see you around there mm-hmm. for a season or two or eight. Uh, so it, it, there's a lot more investment that goes into it other than just CETA. So for me, small business, I'm not so sure if they can really benefit from this. So you're saying that big business, big business as it stands now, um, they can already get into Europe without CETA, and they and they have been. But for small business, is is does uh, does CETA have to sort of come along with maybe some government funding to help small businesses get into Europe? Uh, government funding will always be welcomed by small businesses, no question about it. But government funding alone won't help because if you you need you need sustained sustained you need to be there a long time. You need sustained economic interest and investment in that region that you're going to sell. If you think you're going to go there and sell for one season, unless you somehow get super lucky and you have the greatest fads and sliced bread, then maybe. But if, if, if you don't have it, if you don't have that thing that's going to work really well, if you can't get that, that, that special you know, Amsterdam product that's going to sell in the red light district, it's going to be hotcakes or hash cakes as in the case may be, then, uh, then it's going to take too much time and resources and money. We didn't talk about this last month, but it's pretty interesting. The 2016 rankings of Canada's most entrepreneurial cities. Uh, this is uh, done by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business uh, for the Financial Post, and they're out uh, as of just a couple weeks ago, but we didn't get to them. But uh, it's pretty interesting results, but a bit sad in, in our case. So the top three are uh, Kelowna, BC, Toronto, and Barrie, Ontario. Uh, and out of 40 cities, Montreal is ranked... 40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. However, if you look at the list... If you look outside of Montreal, because they they kind of have, you know, the city of Toronto, the city of Montreal, the city of Calgary, but they also have periphery. And the periphery around Montreal was actually classified as ninth. Hmm. So if you if you kind of look outside the island, uh, there there's, and I think there's a little bit of, of 
understanding to that because it's it is expensive to operate on the island, uh, at least more so than the periphery. And some of the businesses, certainly tech, certainly the on the entrepreneurial side, they need to keep costs lower and costs cost down. So it makes a lot more sense that it's not actually in the city itself, and that it is is uh, all around. Is all around. Um, article by uh, Leah Eichler in the Globe and Mail. Uh, Weed is coming to your office, and that's okay. Uh, under the this the heading of the future of work, is this really a, re- a realistic thing that the entrepreneurs are going to deal with? I mean, employees who have, I guess, prescriptions or stuff, or they just smoking outside, taking a smoke break, like just like a cigarette break. Well, here's the thing: uh, marijuana has and will become more legalized as time goes by. You know, certain number of states in the U.S., uh, medicinal purposes, uh, ultimately recreational purposes. Uh, Justin is already, uh, Justin Trudeau is already, you know, had started that that wave and said, uh, no, it's 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 going to come and it's going to be legalized and it's and it's and it's going to be more present uh, as days goes on. So, what does that mean for employers? Well, are you gonna? What's going to happen when your employee comes in that morning? And has taken that recreational drag. Mm. You know, are they going to be productive? Are they, like you say, are they going to take a break? How are employers going to, are they going to have to do drug testing? Are they, productivity levels may go down. <laughs> Maybe for some people it'll go up, who knows. But uh, but productivity levels. But how do you regulate it? If it's legal, you know, smoking is legal. How do you regulate it? This, although, impairs brain function to a certain degree. How do you How do you figure that out? Employers are going to have a minefield of figuring out what's what. And are they going to have to institute drug testing? Are they? I mean, there's so many different areas. Uh, but if they want to be progressive and they want to have, you know, the young talent, they might have to be a little lenient in some areas. It's going to be a tough, tough game to follow. As it is, people who smoke cigarettes uh, are, are often ostracized at the workplace. Our, our, our colleagues sometimes are jealous of their, their prolonged breaks. I mean, what, what do you say to, uh, to your employees if uh, someone's taking too many smoke breaks? I say it all works out in the end. If you're if you're a hard worker, you have work ethic. Uh, if they're taking breaks, they they have to kick in somewhere else. It's not just one factor that defines an employee. There are several. That's just one, and a, a real employer will understand where the the good, the bad, and the ugly lie in the employee. All right, coming up on today's Entrepreneur, we're going to talk to Victor Diaz and Victor Batista of Restaurant Doka. Talk about the restaurant business, of course, a very hot business here in Montreal. And later on the program, Patrick Sullivan, uh, our trustee and partner at Fuller Landau, will talk about uh, restaurant bankruptcies because we have a lot of restaurant openings in Montreal, and unfortunately not all of them survive, but Restaurant Doka did, and they'll tell us their story coming up. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And uh, Josh, I love talking about the restaurant business, both big foodies here in Montreal. And let's welcome Victor Diaz and Victor Batista of Restaurant Doka into studio. Uh, Victor, welcome to CJD. Welcome. Thank you. So first question is the easiest. Tell me about uh, Doka. So Doka, uh, it's a new restaurant. We opened for a year and a half. And the type of cuisine, it's um, it's more cuisine de marché with a little Portuguese speciality since uh, we bought Portuguese and uh, even the chef. So we do have a little Portuguese speciality on the restaurant. Now, where are you guys located? We're in uh, Griffintown, so corner of Peel and Wellington. 
It's a new district. Uh, it's like a hot spot now. Eventually, it's going to be even hotter. There's, there's no question that Griffin Town certainly in the last few years has, you know, it has a whole restaurant following. You know, whether it's on Notre Dame or yeah. a little bit elsewhere, did you know location definitely plays a huge role. Uh, and and we'll come to that in a moment because just getting that area, just getting that location is is a is a, a coup in and of itself. But you guys, you know, you, Victory said you started about a year and a half ago, but this is not where you guys start in the restaurant business. Uh, you have many years of experience. Where did where did you guys, you know, I guess get your feet wet before? Yeah, um, I started. I was like really young, probably uh, eighteen years old. My first job, uh, I was a busboy at the Ritz Carlton. So that's long, long time ago. <laughs> Not that long ago, Victor. You're young. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's, yeah, that's okay. So uh, after that, uh, I started uh, as a waiter at La Luna that was on Santa Rosa Street. It was that area of restaurants. It used to be like really, really popular. And uh, after that, uh, at the Ferreira Cafe, a manager and a sommelier for long years. I was there mm -hmm. for almost uh, 18 years. And after that, what I thought was time to open my own place. So uh, here we go, a new uh, a challenge. new venture, a new challenge, Absolutely. a new venture. And, and there's always uh, there's always something to learn. No question. And Victor, uh, well, your background? Yeah, me. I started at uh, Prima Donna back in the heydays of uh, Saint Lawrence Street, and then uh, after that, I went to Cavalli, where uh, I stayed there like ten years. Did like every position, and I worked for that group. From other restaurants as well, Biche and mm -hmm. all those. Now, you guys, I mean, you, you, you've seen lots of sides of this restaurant business, but you didn't see the ownership side until you got into it. Yeah. You were still enticed. You, the, of all the years, you, you still felt it was a, a sexy enough industry to stay in it and, and really want to open up your own place, right? Yeah, absolutely. But no question there's challenges. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about lots of those challenges. And of course you know, how you guys found the location, because that's super interesting. And maybe the food, too. Uh, Victor Diaz and Victor Batista of Restaurant Doka are guests this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. This evening, we're with Victor Diaz and Victor Batista of Restaurant Doka. They are at the corner of uh, Wellington and Peel. And guys, what it's, uh, what's a pretty up-and-coming neighborhood. A lot of young professionals there. It is Stuff is popping up there like crazy. How did you snag such a great location? I mean, that's going to be one of the hottest neighborhoods in Montreal now. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, it started a couple of years ago. But, I mean, there's still another year or two or even three before, uh, before it's done. So the way we find this spot there was... Um, we say like a regular customer. They used to come at uh, my other restaurant, and uh, he was asking me a couple of times that uh, if I want, if I was, if it was interesting to open something with him, he had like a great spot, and uh, he asked me a couple of times since uh, those years that I know him. And one time I was like, yeah, maybe no, I think it's a good idea. I think it's time maybe to move on and do something else. So he showed me that spot. And uh, I kind of uh, fell in love with the spot. It was like really nice, really open. So that's the way uh, we just started. So the spot found you. Well, your your customer for a long time found this. The spot really found you. You didn't. So were you planning on opening a restaurant before then, or it started with the location, and then kind of snowballed from there? I think it started with location. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, 
it actually personally if it wasn't for that location i wouldn't open a restaurant right now or i would look for it but being in griffintown and all the buzzes around it you know it, it persuaded me to to go for it let's go you know now this this is did this the this client the, the past client brought the location did he get into the business with you as well he's yeah. a partner with us yeah, he's our partner. and so partners so you're, you're the the three of you that are partners do you guys you, you share roles i mean is, is is some of you more administrative some of you more service uh like what's that what how does that work by me and victor we uh we take care more of the room uh the the orders the the alcohol the wines everything on the on the restaurant and uh the other partners taking care more of the uh, the office, contabilité, uh, that uh, type of stuff. The There's a lot of doing on a restaurant. There's a lot of things to do. No question. And you cannot do it by yourself. No, no, no. Of course, the, and the hiring and the firing and the marketing is that more uh, that lies on on your guys' hands or on or us. on you uh, guys as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's a lot that goes on to a restaurant. You know, Dan, we we certainly. We don't always go into the actual operations with entrepreneurs, but there are so many things that happen day to day. And we always say, you know, the, the entrepreneurs can't leave the store. They have to mind the store. They have to be there. There's no, there's no truer uh, place that 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 applies to than a restaurant. If they if they aren't there, now you're not there now. Yeah. So you have you have a good guys uh, rocking yeah, yeah, the store. It's okay, it's for an hour, so it's not so bad. <laughs> exactly, and you know, you, the, there's no fire. You'll you'll get called if there's a fire. We trust but the people. <laughs> you trust that, which is actually very important. But yes. when we come back from the break, we'll also talk about that human resource aspect because that's huge. Yeah. There are people that are serving your customers that are that are really responsible for your name and reputation, and uh, and that can't be treated lightly. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L.'s Josh Miller. And this evening, we're talking about the restaurant business with a couple of victors, uh, because, well, they survived the first year, which is the ultimate victory, but we're here with Victor Diaz and Victor Batista of Restaurant Doka. So you found uh, an incredible location. I mean, it's uh, Peel and Wellington is going to be one of the hot corners now for young professionals in Montreal. The condo towers are going up everywhere. You guys see them. Uh, so you're, now you're good to go. You're all Set. But tell me about the early moments. You you started. You were saying by finding it, it came with the location first, yeah. and then it grew from there. So how did you take that box and then make it into Doka? Well, we had to look for the designer. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know I, I could put obstacles or uh, 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 moments of of the the creation of Doka, which was like looking for the designer, looking for the kitchen designer. Uh, how long okay, was the process? Like from beginning it, to end? It took a year. It took a, a year. A year's yeah. a long time. Yeah. I know it's there's, a build out, but yeah. a year's a long time. Well, there's a condo association also implied there because we, we're like located in a condo uh, building. So th yeah, there was like some uh, stumbling there, but we, we picked it up. We uh, we had some doubts at one point, you know. Maybe. Have you guys ever built out a location before? No. So big learning curve for you yeah. guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we learn on, as we go along. We learned and you learned from the contractors, from the yeah. general contractor. Exactly. There too. <laughs> there's so many things that you didn't know, like for the arts, 
we uh, we didn't know that uh, has to be uh, like a um, certain way because we want to do it like on the roof but then there was a terrace on the roof so we had to forget about it so we have to do it like uh, until the uh, back alley and we had to put a um, we call this um, the filter, special filters mm-hmm. for the uh, echo, yeah, ecological for the, the whole HVAC for the uh, yeah. and all this. So there, there's always like something that you didn't know that. Oh, okay, now we have to move this. Then oh, the ceiling is too uh, is too higher, so we can't do it this way. We have to change it that way. There's, so a, there's a lot to do now. A year is still quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it any point? In, I guess you didn't expect it to take one year to nope. do. Is there any point where you thought maybe we shouldn't continue. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, a lot for sure, <laughs> for sure. But uh, you know what? We were we stay positive and and you, you know we see we try to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Meaning you know you have to do this. We're all a hundred percent in it. So. You were committed. You were committed. Yeah. Yeah. And the contractors were really nice also because yeah. if, if it's not for them, they helped us. They, they push it up us. like uh, he knew that uh, we really wanted to open, so they they did push it up to uh, to finish the job and uh, here we go. Is, we yeah. have it done. Now, okay, so you have the restaurant built, and I know so it took a, it took quite a long time to get done. Yep. But in this time, you're thinking about your operations, and you got to think about getting the name out there because it's still a, a fairly new area. I mean, yes, okay, you have a new hotel there, and there's some condos around. But people still have to know you exist. So, from a marketing standpoint, you guys had a lot of time to think about this. What did you guys do from a marketing standpoint that worked or didn't work? But first of all, we knew a lot of clientele, come because yeah. uh, we are in the business for so long. So there's customers that I know for uh, maybe 15, 20 years. Yeah. So they were the first to come. Like when they knew that we open, they come to visit. So and you then, were all, you always stayed in contact with your clients and you try to reach out to them one oh, by one. Oh, absolutely! Or, yeah. uh, it was like you know, good customers and even friends. So they uh, they were waiting for the opening. So uh, the first when we opened, we did pretty well because they uh, they all. When shut, did you open? When did you them, open? By the way, by the, way? <laughs> the the weekend of the Grand Prix last summer. Not a bad weekend to open. That's yeah. a busy week, but people still have to know you exist, right? Because yeah. a lot of people are booked or made their plans in advance. Absolutely, yeah. yeah we and did the- Exactly, and they want to take a chance because they were they was not sure if uh, if we're gonna be open for the for the weekend of the Grand Prix. So it was like, yes, yes, we're gonna be open, no problem. So we we did rush it to open it. Absolutely. Let me ask you one one question that's a hot topic among local restaurateurs that that can cut into the bottom line: no shows when someone makes a reservation and then doesn't show up. Is is have you have you found that that's a problem? And how do you how do you combat that? Uh, well, for us, still, because we're still new, so it doesn't affect us. It affects us in the way that we're expecting more people than, but we still have, we're a big space and we still have a lot of people. But eventually, this will become a problem if it keeps going. Hmm. The fact that, you know, like we're expecting a group of six or a group of eight and then there's no show. And sometimes I actually have an anecdote with that. Like I called back a, a client. <clears throat> Asking them if you know if they were still coming, whatever, and they answer the phone, and they hear that he's in another restaurant, having a meal. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you know. Now you guys are using the. Of course, people like to book online. Yep. So book and uh, open table. I mean, those are certainly the two more popular ones in Montreal. Are you guys on one or both of them? Uh, we're both. Both more more book and uh, but uh, yeah. we're on both. Yeah. Now, do you find that? Helpful and, and what's that model? Is that a, is that a pay per click or pay per person? Like, how does that work? And do you find that that I guess works for you? Yes, uh, I will say that I will say like fifty percent of the reservation it's uh, it's online. 
and the other, the other but it depends on the nights and other days but the it's like a half half they call in the restaurant and the other half it's by by line would you say that that's also part of your marketing strategy is is those online because people also rate the service and rate the food do you monitor sure. that do you keep Absolutely. tabs on that yeah. Yeah, yeah, do yeah. you follow up with, i don't know i don't know to what extent you're even able to follow up with people well people review that whatever their experience are like when they come if they have a good experience or sometimes it's not good we try to to you know make it most, most yeah. of it's like a really good commenters yeah, yeah, yeah. Bukanda, we have, we have and a good review balls, we, uh, we're pretty lucky with that and listen it's it's word of mouth right yeah the, that's the, that's every the best pun way. intended of course yeah that's the best way to to promote absolutely have you tried did you try advertising in print did you i mean did you did, we did you locally we yeah. did locally not not to the full extent of like going on newspaper or whatever but yeah locally we promote uh our business did and, it work for you, you yeah, yeah like neighborhood people come in they you know they all say oh i just moved in i heard about you and they but what about big magazines did you try and get into big magazines at first mm, not yeah. yet well the all well, roots we did of the, the world Montreal, we, did, yeah, uh, we did a couple Actually, yeah those um, yeah but not big big but it's on the hotels and uh it's uh yeah a bit uh yeah, uh, three or four uh, types of uh, of reviews like that. So the market here is a, is a lot tougher than in other Canadian cities, right? How do you deal with with the with the pressure of of being in such an excellent cuisine city? I mean, do do, do you feel that when you craft a, every single dish? Well, we make sure that like every dish that comes out, you know, we well we rely on our chef, which is like he has a lot of experience. But we make sure that our, every dish that comes out, make you know. It's it's to up to our standards. Now, chef is hugely important. I mean, yes. especially as Dan is saying in this city. So, I mean, have you had the same chef since? So, you know, have you made any changes? No, we had new? we had a change. We had a change. Uh, our old chef just uh, moved out to do another um, uh, another restaurant. Another restaurant, yes. And uh, we have a new chef that's uh, known to Victor BS and our my myself. Uh, Marino used to be a Ferrer as well, and MKT, and uh, now he's uh, he's working for us, and he's very happy, and we we're happy he's there. And he was uh, he was supposed to be the first uh, chef who started with us, it just didn't happen the way we wanted. So uh, we're really glad that we have him right now. Now we we only have a, a moment left just before the the seven forty five break, but people, talent, hiring, firing. Is that a constant? Do you worry? Is that something that keeps you up at night as 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 restaurateurs? <laughs> well, it doesn't keep us at, up at night, but uh, yeah, it's very hard to find uh, good staff because uh, I guess the 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 values of the restaurant, let's let's say like that. Um, as we go along, the new generation they have like uh, less knowledge mm-hmm. of of what it is to be give to give good service you're hiring kids are out there and you're hiring kids because experienced people aren't aren't always out there and ready to work coming up next on today's entrepreneur we're going to talk uh now this is something that that that, uh obviously is not related directly to restaurant doka well it isn't but it's very important for restaurateurs and other people and it's and with so many restaurants unfortunately not succeeding like doka is this is a fact of life. So Patrick Sullivan, trustee and partner at Fuller Landau, is going to talk about uh, the the restaurant bankruptcy situation and how and why so many restaurants uh, go under and uh, and that kind of process. So that is on the way. Plus, we'll have the one piece of advice from uh, the two victors for today's entrepreneur on the way. 
For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L.'s Josh Miller with you. And we'll have uh, Victor Diaz and Victor Batista in uh, a few minutes from Restaurant Doka with their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. But first, Patrick Sullivan joins us, trustee and partner at F.L. And uh, Patrick, it's a it's a pretty uh, dicey topic. There are tons of restaurants popping up in Montreal and many pop up and many go away. Um, bankruptcy, restaurant bankruptcy. What, what, what is that process like? Uh, could you take me through it if, if, if restauranters get to the point where they, they do get to get, get there? Uh, what, what happens once they declare? Well, it's the same. It's the same story for any type of bankruptcy. Let it be a restaurant or, or any type of industry. As a matter of fact, uh, people will go and meet a trustee in bankruptcy and file what we call a bankruptcy statement, and the creditors are advised. Trustee will take possession of the assets, namely the restaurant per se, and ultimately will liquidate those assets. Uh, normally, on a fire sale basis. Uh, I think I think that one of the key concerns is that there's a lot of openings, a lot of foreclosures. Um, you know, the, in in we have this saying in in my type of work where we say our new restaurant opens, first run the guys are going to go bankrupt, second run the guys are going to go bankrupt, the third guy that's going to pick it up for next to nothing is going to make money. Uh, location, location, location is obviously the key factor in the restaurants. Uh, obviously, the government, when they instigated the SRM machines a few years back, uh, you know, the fancier restaurants do not take that much cash. Most people pay with credit cards or debit cards. But the smaller operators where, you know, the, the guy that's selling hot dogs and french fries, it was a cash business. And the government figured out a way to stop that, the bleeding of the taxes and that you know, a lot of them foreclosed because of that, either through assessments or whatever. Well, so or some, sometimes, sometimes they planned to close too because they didn't want. They to, knew it they, was. They coming. knew it was coming, and they didn't necessarily want to get caught. Likely, exactly. So the government's point of sale system was was so burdensome for some restaurateurs that that someone under. Uh, I I think it's 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 burdensome for all restaurateurs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and because now they have to monitor not only obviously what the customers pay, everything is declared. They also have to monitor the tips. They have to, you know, uh, include on the on the waiters and waitresses uh, a part of their their tips. Uh, obviously, there's a big rotation in the personnel in the restaurant industry, and obviously, good restaurants need good service and good food. Uh, you know, owners have to realize the investment of time they have to put in there. And uh, like Victor was saying, a lot of people have sold their businesses and all of a sudden, hey, my dream is to own a restaurant. Uh, well, you know, it's a different league where you have to invest so much time and be there physically to run the operation. And a lot of them just bail out or they end up losing their shirt in the process. And what's the biggest item that they owe on a balance sheet just before bankruptcy? Don't answer that question, but when we come back, uh, we'll see what common things you've seen when restaurants uh, just before or as restaurants go under. More with Patrick Sullivan, plus the one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 
Coming up, Victor Diaz and Victor Batista of Restaurant Doka will share their one piece of advice each for today's entrepreneur. But first, Patrick Sullivan uh, talking about restaurant bankruptcies, Josh, and, and what is the backbreaker? What is the thing that 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 kills a restaurant's momentum? And and what is what are the two things? Just before we left on the break, we asked Pat uh, what would what is the the single biggest uh, debtor on on a balance sheet, or what's the biggest number that you see when you walk in? In uh, in most situations, we're it definitely is going to be the government for unpaid GST, QST. Uh, deductions at source are also a concern when you have a high volume of, of uh, people working for you. But the tendency, since bankers don't like to finance restaurants, 99% of the time the owner-operators or the operators, if it's tough, they're going to finance themselves with the GST, QST. So they end up racking up uh, considerable amounts of money owing back. It'll last a while until all of a sudden they either get audited or, you know, they misfile or whatever. And then it, it comes and hits them in the face. And chances are they don't own their own building. So the landlord, the landlord's the second biggest one. I mean, the landlord's going to support for a while because obviously he doesn't want to have an empty, empty spot. Uh, but eventually there's a limit to, uh, you know, giving that support. So if the restaurant's failing, watch out for your personal guarantees as directors first. Absolutely. GST, QST, deduction of source, if you, and whatever else you sign personally, and then uh, the, the rest is, uh, we'll take care of it. Exactly. Thank you very much, Pat. And as we uh, approach the last moment of our show, we'll turn to uh, Victor Batista and Victor Diaz, uh, one at a time, guys, and ask you what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Well, if you go into a restaurant business, you have to be, like 100% de- dedicated to the to the project and it come it has to come from the heart and like to be uh full out of for the good service you know and you want to give good food good service just not be there cuz it's fun all in games you know that's right yeah that's a bit uh the point of the restaurants you uh, you, you need a lot of hours to, uh, to put in because, I mean, you have to be free at 24-24 because uh, there's always something to do. You can have a call at night, uh, day, in the morning. So, yeah, you need uh, a lot of hours to put in, that's for sure. And I think, uh, Dan, you know, we, we we didn't actually talk about this this specific topic, but both victors are raising it, and that's, that's the sacrifices that entrepreneurs make when they, they throw their heart and soul into their business. Now they, you know, and families, they can, they can lose out too. So there's, there's a lot of sacrifice going on, uh, kudos, which is why sometimes partnerships work uh, in restaurants that you can kind of lean a little bit on each other, but sacrifices that entrepreneurs make, uh, you can never underplay that too much. Thank you very much. Victor Diaz and Victor Batista of Restaurant Doka, pretty uh, hot corner there on Wellington and Peel. Uh, best of luck, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Patrick Sullivan as well from FL. And Josh, you're off next week. Your partner, Michael Newton. No, I'm here, here next oh, week and week. two weeks I'll be here. Perfect. So I didn't say anything. No, no, all good. <laughs> Maramel Solutions up next week on Today's Entrepreneur. Have a good night.